Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Devendra Hardwar, and tonight I'm joined by... Jeff Kanata. Hey, Jeff. Uh, it is just us tonight. Um, later on, we'll be joined by Christy Puchko uh, to talk about the Florida Project. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, I'm very excited that she'll be on. And this is the first of our uh, weeks without Dave. If you didn't hear last week's episode, uh, Dave Chen, our usual third co-host, is taking a little sabbatical. And we'll be back with us uh, in a few weeks to talk about The Last Jedi. But in the meantime, you and I are going to hold down the fort. We'll have guests and uh, people are sending in emails to suggest guests for the show. It's all good stuff. It's all very exciting. But yeah, as always, you guys can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're at slashfilmcast there. Uh, but yeah, let's just get into what we've been watching. Uh, this week, I finished up Mindhunter, the new show on Netflix. And uh, I talked about it last week. This show is eminently bingeable. Uh, David Fincher directed four episodes from it, I believe, and it really has this vibe and aesthetic. Uh, it's about uh, FBI agents in the 70s who are basically uh, forming the beginnings of criminal profiling. So like pre-Silence of the Lambs type stuff. This is really Fincher's territory. Um, I think it got a lot better towards the end. Uh, this show has just such strange vibe, right? There is very little... There isn't much of like a through plot it is basically these dudes driving around and talking about, uh, you know, the nature of what these psychopaths are, because these are an entirely new type of criminal. And they kind of wander into cities and maybe help out the local police with some crazier cases there, while also talking to serial killers. And uh, there are some great guest stars who do all of those performances. Uh, I just want to say it's really good. I'm glad I finished it. Um, the pilot is a little rough, and I see a lot of people talking about dropping off just from that. And I uh, just want to say keep going. It gets a lot better. And uh, there's so much great Fincher stuff in here. Like, just the style of it. In a way, it feels like a sequel to um, to Zodiac for him. Like it, oh, it, yeah. Yeah, it does sort of cover that same territory, but sort of, yeah, where things are going after that. Does it have, like, a, a true detective vibe? Sounds true detective-y to me a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah, I noticed that pretty much halfway through. I was like, oh, man, this is sort of a throwback 70s true detective that, you know, I kind of, I didn't know I wanted, but I turns out I really do. And, uh, you know, I'm also of a generation, uh, we know the FBI wasn't always a great <laughs> organization, but I kind of grew right. up watching, like, the X-Files and Silence of the Lambs when I was a kid, uh, thinking, this is super cool. I kind of want to do this at some point, uh, before I knew, like, uh, oh, uh, kind of the worst things the FBI did at some point. <laughs> Um, but it really kind of gets me back into that. Just like this, these people see these crazy killings happening. Uh, the term serial killer hasn't even been invented yet. They're just trying to figure out how to solve these crimes and how to, you know, catch the bad people. And I think there's something really noble in that. And I love the process of this show too. They just really get down and dirty into it. Uh, the plot kind of meanders all over the place. Uh, this is a show, um, I think for like 30 seconds before every episode really begins, we see brief glimpses of uh, somebody like basically planning a large scale serial killing type thing. And it's never revealed who it is. Um, I believe he is, uh, there's a particular name for it. Uh, in the show, he's called the ADT man. And he's a guy who he basically. ADT, murdered. that's who protects my house from serial exactly. killers. <laughs> uh, there was a guy um, who did work for a security company. And basically had a, you know, went on a string of murders as well. So it it kind of just hints at that. And we know he'll be coming back for season two, but it's, it never tells you his name, never tells you anything about it. You just see this guy just doing weird stuff. 
and it's just kind of intriguing on that level. Uh, so yeah, just really digging the show. If you like Fincher's criminal stuff, um, and if you just like this sort of thing, like uh, with FBI agents and all, I think it's really it's it's just incredibly compelling. So bingeable. How how grisly, how graphic is it? <laughs> I'm I'm you know I'm thinking about yeah. watching it with my wife, and you know I don't know. It depends how... on what, you, what it what her limits are. Uh, it's not as like graphic as like Seven. But there are definitely uh-huh. brief glimpses of it. I think within the first five minutes, uh, there's kind of a hostage negotiation and something very brutal happens there. And, you know, this is a show about people who've killed and done terrible things to people. It's normally guys doing these terrible things to women. Um, and they, they don't really explicitly show you much, but occasionally you will get glimpses of like a corpse or crime scene photography and things like that. Right. I'm glad it doesn't revel in it, though. It does. It revels more in the philosophical and like intellectual side of how do you catch these people and how do they think. And I think that psychology is really interesting. So again, that's Mind Hunter on Netflix. Yes, and uh, yeah, highly recommend it. I've also been catching up on this anime series called My Hero Academia, and I like to talk about anime in the show because I know I could never get Dave and you into it too much, Jeff, uh, <laughs> yeah. except unless it's like a movie like Your Name. Uh, but My right. Hero Academia, guys, the world is terrible right now. You know, everywhere you True. look, the news is just awful. My Hero Academia is a show about superheroes. It's a show about a world where a, a huge portion of the population gets superpowers. And to deal I'm with this... I'm listening. Yes. To deal <laughs> with this, like, the government sets up this whole, like, structure. It's like, okay, you gotta get licensed, you gotta go to school, you gotta learn how to use your powers... Uh, the world building in the show is just amazing. And what's really interesting is the main character of the show is a kid who idealizes the most powerful superhero in the world. And he was not born without a superpower. Or, sorry. He was born without a superpower. And it's just kind of mm-hmm. tragic, right? He is this guy who really wants to be this big hero and he never really can be. And the entire show is about how he sort of uh, he sort of makes that happen for himself. Uh, but what hmm. I love about the show, the world building's great. First of all, if you think about a world where, yeah, superpowers exist and you know law enforcement and the government kind of has to deal with it, uh, it kind of comes up with uh, ways you could control all of that. Um, but there's just something inherently noble about the show as well. Uh, you know, this kid. He just wants to be a hero. He wants to do good. And everyone around him is striving typically to do the same thing. And it's just, you know, a great show about nobility and being good and saving people. And, you know, right now in the world, like, we can't even count on Superman in the movies. Yeah, right. So I actually think this would be well up your alley, Jeff. Like, it is just so good. And they're just, it really plays on superhero concepts really well. Is it like traditional superhero superpowers, like Superman analog and you know, there, there is some analog? of that. Like you can see some classic, uh, what do you call it, like Golden Age type superheroes. Yeah. Uh, but there's also some like weirdly inventive stuff, and I love the character designs. The villains are just incredibly unique. Um, the thing about I love about anime is that the character designs can be incredibly weird and inventive, and this right. show has a lot of that. And I think it's uh, it's just super cool. So. I've, a lot of people have been telling me to check out the show, My Hero Academia. It is on Crunchyroll right now. Uh, I don't think it's on Hulu or any of the others yet. It, it reminds me of um, – wasn't there a movie with Kurt Russell where yes. he was like a superhero Sky dad? High. Sky High. Yeah, yeah, where like all the superheroes go to school to be superheroes and stuff. <laughs> yeah, It is similar to that except, yeah, done in anime style. 
And uh, yeah, I'm just really digging it. So that's on Crunchyroll. It just finished up its second season. If you're looking to, if you want like a bit of anime that makes you feel good about the world and about people who can, I don't know, fight for the right things for once, uh, check it out. Yeah. So Sounds cool. Yeah. And that's My Hero Academia. It's on Crunchyroll right now. Jeff, what have you been watching? Well, um, I'm a big fan of stand-up and particularly a big fan of Patton Oswalt, mm-hmm. but uh, I had just checked out his new stand-up special on Netflix called Annihilation. This one, I think, clearly the most personal of Patton's uh, specials so far. Everybody mm-hmm. is probably aware that he went through a real tragedy uh, not long ago when his wife and the mother of his child uh, died, tragically. Uh, and so he, sad, yeah. It, yeah, he talks about this directly and much of the show is about that. He starts off, uh, the special talking about Trump and, 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 ta- you know, kind of being topical and talking about comic books and Patton Oswald, you know, tip typical stuff. And then at a certain point he like does crowd work, mm-hmm. which I've never seen him do before. Wow. He stops and starts talking to the crowd and then he literally goes, okay, I did that because I've been. I don't want to do this next part, and I've been trying to uh, put it off. You know, I'm I'm trying to stretch time, but I guess I'm going to do this. And he talks uh, really honestly and heartbreakingly about the death of his wife and the kind of person she was, and how he broke that to his daughter. And I don't think I've ever watched a comedy special where I cried. and, and I mean, I guess I've cried from laughing too much, right, at comedy specials. <laughs> but this is tears of true sorrow and despair. He is speaking from the heart. He is uh, – it, it is a, a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. And then I'm also laughing through those tears. You know, he somehow mines genuine comic beats through the most horrific thing a person can go through, you know, the, the tragic loss of the person you love the most and the mother of your child and having to tell that child, the mother is dead. It it is, he's very honest about all of that stuff. And I I can't recommend this high enough. I mean, it is one that will affect you in ways that comedy specials don't usually, uh, you will, I think you will laugh a lot, but you, you will also be moved. And I found myself laughing through tears. It is, it's very, some, it's something very special. And, um, it made me appreciate the people in my life even more. And, and, you know, I told my wife, I watched it when she was out of town and I was like, you can't, you can't die. (laughs) You can't, I mean, it's, it's powerful stuff. So I I highly recommend it. It's called uh, Annihilation. It's Patton Oswalt's new comedy special on Netflix. I'm looking forward to watching that too. I've just kind of been holding off because I know that it'll completely break my heart. His whole story and everything he's gone through. Um, I'm very glad that, uh, yeah, he's, he's recovering in a way that seems very healthy. So good for him. There's a beautiful sentiment. He wraps the whole thing in a very beautiful sentiment and as heartbreaking as it truly is, I think you'll, you'll find that you come out the other side feeling a little hopeful about the world. So, and it's, it's powerful stuff. I highly recommend it. Uh, also, I'm still watching uh, Better Things. I know I mentioned that a few episodes ago when it first came back for season two, I it, man, this show keeps getting better and better and better. Mm-hmm. The most recent episode uh, is, I think, the best episode that they've done on the show. I think season two is so much better than season one ever was. This is Pamela Adlon's show that she made with Louis C.K. and she directs most of the episodes. 
starring her about her life in a lot of ways. Um, and the most recent episode has moments. There's a it, it starts off. It's very similar to, to Louis' show on mm-hmm. FX, where like they'll just be you know one segment of the show will just be its own story, and it doesn't necessarily connect to the other segments of the show. It's just like these little vignettes, almost these little short stories. Um, and <laughs> the first. Uh, vignette, the first segment of the show in the most recent episode is all about her shooting a commercial as an actor. And I've been in this exact situation. She's shooting a car (laughs) commercial. I've done many car commercials and it's like the most mind numbing, insane process. And I love how she shows like how dumb a a process that all is. And it's really funny. But then the, the second half of the show is really beautiful and heartfelt and it's all about her feeling unappreciated by her family and the thing that they do to show her that they appreciate her is really beautiful. I I just love this show. I think it's so great, man. It's, she's amazing. It's great. Are you watching it? I'm watching it. Uh, I haven't seen this most recent episode, but uh, what I I think this is a better show than Louis, you know, because Louis really leaned on some of the absurdity and those like one-off vignettes. And I don't think it ever really like connected his greater story and who he was as a character other than just like his worldview, you know, whereas this is like, it is fundamentally about her. It's about her family and we see their relationship grow and we see have issues. Uh, I love um, her and her interactions with her daughters. Um, Her mom is so, so amazing. Yeah. Amazing character. But I've loved Pamela Adlon uh, forever. I guess I I realized at some point, like I grew up listening to her, you know, in cartoons and stuff and also King of the Hill um, so I'm very glad that she has this chance to shine on a show that's much better than something like, uh, I don't know, Californication that she was on for a while. Right. Yeah. It's cool too. Cause they'll, they'll show her in the, in the VO booth and she's in there with Billy West yep, and, yep. uh, you know, like everybody who's anybody who she, she works with, it's like the top guys and they don't make any note of it, but it's like, <laughs> that's, yeah, those are the, you know, um, yeah, it's cool. So uh, that's Better Things. It's on FX. I'm watching it on FX Now, which is uh, the most convenient way to watch it, in my opinion. Excellent. And check that out, everyone. Joining us now is Christy Puchko, managing editor at Pajiba and a freelance writer at Nerdist, Vandy Fair, CBR, IndieWire, and Riot Material. Christy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. I'm happy to be here. And I mainly wanted you on because uh, I read your review of the Florida Project at Riot Material, and we'll get to that soon. Uh, but first, what have you been watching? That's our custom. We want to know what uh, you know what everyone's wasting their time on these days. Yeah. Um, well, I've been watching because it's Halloween. I like to watch things that are a little creepier. So I've been watching a lot of Riverdale, and I marathoned <laughs> all of Lore this weekend. Huh. So nice. <laughs> is Riverdale creepy? Is that the is that what Riverdale? Oh, is? it's so good. Yeah. No, Riverdale's great. So Riverdale was created by um, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. I think I'm saying his name right who he was the guy who came into Archie comics and was like, look, I have a great idea. What if Riverdale were attacked by zombies? And he did this <laughs> yeah. amazing comic book line called afterlife with Archie. Oh, so that was him too. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's uh-huh. him. And then he did the chilling adventures of Sabrina, which is actually the first one of those I read. And they're not, they're not sister comics. They're in different timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, but really terrible stuff happens to Sabrina and both. <laughs> Um, but in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I wrote about this for Nerdist last year. It's like a horror gra- a graphic novel. Like, it is brutal. Like, the first chapter is about how her mother was ripped away from her and effectively lobotomized so that she could be, like, the perfect bride to Satan in the arms what? of this coven. Yeah, that's the beginning. It's pretty crazy. That's literally, 
I exactly. just got into Riverdale because I thought the show was fun, but you're really freaking me out right now, Christy. Right? So, <laughs> so this guy was like, I'm going to pitch a TV show. And um, he pitched Riverdale, which is basically, if you haven't seen it, it's it's like Brick, the Ryan Johnson movie, mm-hmm. but in the Archie universe. So <laughs> Jughead is like an amateur sleuth who in the first season is trying to figure out who killed Jason Blossom, who is like this football stud and like, you know, the richest kid in town. And his sister is psychotic and I love her. Her name is Cheryl and she's maybe a witch. Mm-hmm. Um they, like that's something they don't get into until season two, but it's like what? a fan theory. Yeah, it's a fan theory. Oh, man. It's a fan theory that actually I'll, I'll give a shout out Case Wickman, mm-hmm. who has a podcast called The Podcast uh, with Pep that's all about Riverside or Riverdale. She came up with a theory and it's actually pretty good. Oh, um, but in season two, they figured out who killed Jason Blossom. But at the end of season two, another character got shot. And now they're trying to figure out who shot that character. <laughs> and they've introduced a character that's like really deep cut in the Archie lineage. Cause he's like owned by Archie comics, but was not in a comic featuring okay. Archie. Okay. You know what I mean? This sounds very Archie nerdy. I just the... want to tell everybody though, that <laughs> I didn't really care about Archie at all. And I just started watching this show. I was like, oh, Archie's fun. I, I like these characters. I know Jughead. Uh, yeah, but I enjoy the first season of Riverdale without all the deep cuts. But go ahead. Christy. No, that's totally true. But yeah. that's the funny thing about this is that like I read Archie when I was like in sixth grade because like everybody did at some point. <laughs> and then this show came out and I was so fascinated by it that I read the comics before the show came out because I had like seen the teaser at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And then I read our afterlife with Archie. I read Chilling Adventures. And now I'm like obsessed. So it's like when the show comes out, not only do I write about it for Pajiba and have all my theories, but then I go online and I read what other people are saying who know about the comics. And like the Dark Hood <laughs> is like a character who's like a vigilante character. Imagine the Punisher, but like not. This sounds as like, brutal. yeah, a Batman thing too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now like the Dark Hood is around Riverdale and he's like shooting and strangling people. Oh, man. And yeah, it's insane. And I so like I, love... up. I haven't seen any of the seasons. So looking forward oh, to that. It's so good. It's just such like because it's it it you think you know what you're gonna get into because you're like it's Archie and the gang. What's a big deal? But they know that you know what those characters were, and so they subvert all of them, and in such a funny, weird way. And like Roberto is obsessed with like kitsch and old movies, so every episode is named after like an old noir movie. Like next week's episode is mm-hmm. called The Watcher in the Wood, and um. That, and like he references so many movies. Like right now, they're doing this whole Grey Gardens thing. It's <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. It's just it's. I mean, like if you have a brain like mine that is just mm-hmm. hungry for pop culture connections constantly, like Riverdale is just a feast. Riverdale is a show like you describe it to somebody, right? I don't think anybody, unless you're an Archie comic fanatic, I think a lot of people would just dismiss this as another teen show. But I think. Like Friday Night Lights, um, maybe even sort of like The O.C., which was very much a teen show, but a teen show I loved and filled with pop culture references. It is mm-hmm. kind of a combination of all these things. And Twin Peaks, a little bit of Twin Peaks in there. Too. Yeah. But yeah. but guys, it's – no, I haven't watched any of it. So forgive me if yeah. I'm casting aspersions based on nothing. <laughs> but it's also bad, right? No. Like it's no, bad. I reject that. It's I reject okay, that. Okay. It's not Like I said, all. I haven't watched it. I'm just hearing this secondhand. No, people are what's like, funny it's to me bad. is it, No, but people say that to me every week when I write my recaps. Mm-hmm. And like every week I do Riverdale Report for Pajiba. And then the comments, our reader watch the show are like, I love the show, but it's so bad. I don't accept <laughs> that it's bad. I okay. think that it's just really campy and people yeah. don't understand. It's aware of like, its campiness, I think. Yeah. In, in it's like really, the way a Sam Raimi thing would be. Yeah. 
Totally. Like, I mean, in, in one of the episodes in the new season, like Cheryl's house is just burnt to the ground mm-hmm. and she walks into the hospital afterwards with her burnt to a crisp mother. <laughs> and Cheryl is wearing an all white outfit that is spotless. And she's practically floating like the show knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so it's so ballsy. It's mm-hmm. like I don't know. It's like if Ryan Murphy were talented. <laughs> well, there's that. I get like Shades of Hannibal in it, too. Like just the sheer like yeah. uh, surrealism of it at times. But anyway, so the season is good. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, I'm excited. I, 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 coming up I, I can't season three soon or episode three soon. I, and there I might be a Sabrina spinoff. Go ahead. Wait, go ahead. I'm sorry. There's this. They're they're in the works on a Sabrina spinoff. Oh wow. Okay. So there's like heavy promise that like Sabrina the Teenage Witch and her twisted new incarnation will hit this season of Riverdale, which I'm really excited about. That sounds fun. No Melissa Joan Hart, I hope, because she she's no. disappointing me a lot. <laughs> yeah. So much. But go ahead, Jeff. They, I mean, they say? might bring her in as a cameo because you know <laughs> that's the other thing about Riverdale is that they bring in so many like past heartthrobs. Uh-huh. Like Luke Perry plays uh, plays Archie's dad. And like they have someone from Twin Peaks on the Skeet show. Is in it. Skeet Ul- I screamed yeah. when Skeet Ultrich. Oh, I man. screamed so loud. <laughs> it was so good because like I had the I had the screeners for season one. So when Skeet Ultrich appeared, I screamed so loud <laughs> that my Did husband just went go, into the room. Skeet. Maybe I don't. I just <laughs> I didn't realize I was screaming until my husband was like in the room, panicked and like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, Skeet Ultrich is on the screen." He's like, "What is wrong with you right You're now?" Just really like, into pop culture, okay? There's nothing. I, yeah, wrong I was with like, that. I just <laughs> didn't expect him to be a hot dad in this show. I'm sorry. Oh man. So. Uh, I, w- I was going to say that that uh, I can't I can't speak to the I haven't watched a single second of it I I, I didn't mean to you know <laughs> you're going to get insult the show Jeff you uh, will secondhand. love it you will watch but one episode and love it next week yes I will say I will say that I did read Afterlife with Archie as a comic book and was really blown away by that and it points to what is possible when these IP holders just buy into letting their characters be taken into places right. they're not yeah. usually allowed to go to. And some companies, <coughs> Disney, uh, <laughs> don't allow that kind of freedom with their characters. And in fact, like DC Comics used to not allow that. That's why the Watchmen are all analogs to DC right. characters because they're like, we can't do this. No, no, no. I mean, those purse strings have been loosened a little bit uh, you know, in subsequent years. But I love this kind of experimentation with tropes and established – uh, norms that we understand about mm-hmm. the, I mean, these are, these are archetypes or archetypes, right. if you will. Oh, <laughs> um, like um, and, and I think that they, it's fun to play with that stuff and, and bravo to, uh, whoever it was that owned the Archie IP that allowed this to happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the fun of it. People have been making it like, have been teasing me about it and being like, Oh, well, what about, cause I know there's also a line like where the predator shows up with Archie. <laughs> um, I didn't read that line because I don't really care. I hope about the that. show gets as crazy as some of those things, but they got to build. I mean, exactly. They got to build like, up to it, yeah. right? And I mean, I think that's what's so fun is like there really is a sense on this show that like anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Like a big plot twist in season one revolved around how like the maple syrup industry in the town <laughs> was actually a front for heroin. I mean, it's just of beautiful, of course. Yeah, well, because when you think about it, the whole the whole idea of Archie comics anyway is pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. So, so there's you can't make it more stupid than just like the blonde one and the brunette one both want the same boy. Right. You know, it's like it's funny. Yeah, because my dad in uh, in South America, my dad grew up reading Archie comics, so it's weird that I can point him to this thing. 
and be like, well, there's an Archie show now. You may like it. I don't know. Um, but he did. He, <laughs> I really don't know. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, kind of love how this can all coexist. Anyway, short, uh, to, to say it all, to sum it up, uh, Riverdale is good. You should be watching yeah, it, all of you. Exactly. What else have you been watching, Christy? Uh, I've been watching Lore, which is on Amazon Prime. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's based mm-hmm. on a podcast where, like, Aaron Menke uh, talks about, like, legends and kind of where they come from. And they they took basically the most popular episodes mm-hmm. and the most cogent episodes and turned them into a series of, I think it's six television episodes. Did they just straight up uh, lift the podcast episodes? Because I feel like it's just word for word. Yeah, yeah, some of them are, like, direct scripts. And it's funny because someone who doesn't listen to the podcast uh, sent me a message and was like, why does this guy talk like this? And I was like, that's <laughs> how that's Aaron Menke talks. It's yeah. kind of, I mean, it's you're on board or you're not. Yeah. He has this intonation that he just repeats and it's like always talking like this. It's very and Aaron then the Glassy, next except he's also talking about this. terrifying things. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So like the, there's like an episode about vampires and an episode about werewolves and an episode about Robert the doll, which there, the the quality is all over the board. Mm-hmm. I actually think you should skip the first episode of Lore altogether. It's really it's, bad. Yeah. It's like so bad that they should have not put it out, much less put it as the first episode. And they're not like in chronological order, so you don't have to watch mm-hmm. it at all and just don't. It's, it's just um, like a ragtag bunch of different like folklore legends and kind of how they came yeah. to be. What I found funny about the show is like they put as little money into it as possible, right? There are... Yeah, there's yeah. some recognizable faces, mainly Robert Patrick in a couple different episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's so much animation. There's so much like really, really cheap, like dramatic recreation of all these yeah. things that uh, I, I just like listening to the podcast. I don't I wouldn't want to watch this show because it looks bad. It is weird. It's like some of the episodes are OK, but nothing is like it's all like first season of sci-fi. Yeah. You know, yeah. like when you watch those shows where there's like ghost hunters or you watch Sightings. whatever. Like, in the first season, they're not sure that they want to commit to a budget, so everything's real janky. Like, that's what lore feels like. And it's kind of shocking, because it's just like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. it was already a podcast. If you're going to do this, why not do the visuals right? And it it just feels, I mean, it's fun for Halloween, and honestly, it's, like, not bad to have on while you're doing something. But, like, it was just, it was funny, because my husband doesn't listen to the podcast, we were watching an episode, and he's like, why are they talking about Annie Oakley? And I was like... Maybe it'll tie back in, and it just didn't. It, just it was doesn't. just, yeah, it was just like, oh, here's another story about a married couple. I'm like, cool, I guess. So yeah, it's Laura's pretty hit or miss. I thought the the werewolf episode was interesting, and there's an episode about the Robert doll, which is this like notoriously haunted doll. And I actually think the television episode of that is so much worse than the podcast because I remember the podcast genuinely giving me chills as I listened to it while I was like mm-hmm. walking around running errands. Whereas like the episode, even with like the graphics and stuff, I think it's because once you see the actual Robert doll, it's hard to be afraid of it. <laughs> That's true. I think a big part of that podcast exists on like what your mind fills in the blanks with. And when you yes. see it represented with like a little cartoon or like a really, really badly done dramatic reenactment, um, it's just so disappointing. It's not scary yeah. at all. Uh, speaking of scary things, by the way, I do want to say uh, Channel Zero, I haven't talked about it, I think, uh, but the second season has started. It is very good. If you want a scary TV show to watch this Halloween season, um, check that out. Are you watching that, Christy? I have not seen it. Is it. Now, what is this on, mm. and do I have to watch season one? It is on sci-fi. It's an anthology series, so you don't have to watch season one, but I'd highly recommend it because it's very good. Uh, but they're very short. I think it's about six episodes, and... Um, 
It's created by this guy named Nick Antosca, who he used to work in Hannibal. He's a fiction mm-hmm. writer. Um, but he brings a lot of that Hannibal vibe over to it. So it's like just the visuals are amazing. It's really poetic, uh, but it's also genuinely scary too. Uh, mm-hmm. And it basically, uh, it adapts different creepypasta stories. And these are like the oh, internet folklore things. So like re- things yeah. that you find on Reddit in different forums. The first one did um, Candle Cove, which is a story about this uh, old 80s TV show that potentially mind controls kids and makes them murder people. So that's super creepy. Um, <laughs> this this season right now is about the No End House, which is a haunted house that just pops up all over the world and basically gives you mind trips. And it's it, just the visuals are great. I love the sense of fear and just how disturbing this entire show is. So highly recommend Channel Zero. And you should definitely watch it, Christy. It's much better. Than yeah, that. it sounds rad. Excellent. And with that, let's move on to our review of The Florida Project. Okay, I warned you. One drip and you're out. Oh, come on! Out now. It's going to melt outside. It's melting inside, too. But, Bobby... Out. Thank you very much. You're not welcome! The man who lives in here gets arrested a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyway. That was from the trailer for The Florida Project, the next film from Sean Baker. And I'm just going to read the IMDb summary here as we do. Uh, Set over one summer, the film follows precocious six-year-old Moody as she escorts mischief and adventure with her ragtag playmates and bonds with her rebellious but caring mother, all while living in the shadows of Disney World. I feel like that summary leaves out a lot, but okay. Uh, Sean Baker... (laughs) This is a guy that I really started paying attention to after Tangerine uh, from a couple years ago. And that was the movie about the trans community in L.A. uh, shot on an iPhone. I think the shooting on an iPhone thing was what got a lot of people talking about it because it does look amazing as a film. Uh, But also, I really love that movie. I I think that movie gave us a lens into a world we don't typically see, even in Mm -hmm. independent films. Um, It's really dynamic because you're able to shoot with an iPhone. Like, there's no... You could tell, like, they're at some points, they're just like crammed up in a really small space holding a phone up um, in places where maybe a normal camera wouldn't fit. Uh, but yeah, have you guys seen Tangerine and any thoughts there? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, Tangerine's outstanding. It's a movie that, like, it's, it's just, it's hard to explain because it's like you don't know what you're getting into with it, really. Mm-hmm. And it's like it starts off with these trans sex workers and, um, you know, the premise is is basically just kind of like this crazy Christmas Eve where they're trying to track down this one guy that one like one of them suspects he's cheating on her. And uh, I mean, it's like it's something that sounds kind of on its face trashy. But what's so incredible about it is that Sean Baker refuses to like chalk these characters up to these archetypes mm-hmm. that they're typically judged within where like typically if you have a trans sex worker in a movie you know they're going to be the informant for you know a, on a drug dealer or something like they're typically portrayed as kind of like bad characters sure. um and in this he he allows them like this incredible humanity and he allows them to take back their you know their authority and to take back empathy and and to be the heroes of their story and it's not a glamorous portrait but it's there's a beauty to it so Mm -hmm. it's such a it's such a i mean it was funny because i knew everybody was talking about this movie tangerine and i had heard kind of rumblings about what it was about but when i saw it i didn't really know what the plot was or anything i had gotten a screener and i popped it in and it was just 
riveting. It was it was just not like anything I had seen before. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a beautiful film. I love the way he just brings humanity to all these characters. Uh, there's like a glimpse into um, the immigrant community there uh, in L.A. and how it coexists, like uh, you know, with people who may feel ashamed of you know even being connected to these trans characters but also there's deep love there and there's deep you know relationships between them too i kind Mm -hmm. of found that all fascinating too but uh jeff have you seen tangerine i never did no okay worth watching especially after this movie um but yeah let's get straight into the florida project christy i read your review over at right material and really dug that uh what are your overall thoughts on this movie and we'll get into spoilers a bit later sure I mean, a lot like Tangerine, it's a film that that gives you this environment that is one of kind of squalor and poverty, um, but it's not about those things. Mm-hmm. That's that's just the setting. Like these are people who are living vibrant lives and seeking their happiness. And in this case, it's a six year old and her mom. And um, you know, it's like from the very fr- I don't know. I'm I'm astonished. I liked the Florida Project mm-hmm. because. I don't like kids, particularly. <laughs> You've outed I yourself, mean, Christy. Yeah. But yeah. Well, people I have or, nieces. or events, really? And I'm, I'm not a fan of things happening to people. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like people <laughs> or movies. Um, no, I, I'm not like one of those people that's inherently like, oh my god, look at that baby. Oh my god, kids are so funny. Right. Like, I'm not that girl, and uh, I love my nieces. In case they're listening, uh, they're great. <laughs> But no, I, I like when the movie starts, it's literally three six year olds screaming at each other. And like, that sounds like my nightmare. Yeah. But yeah. It's I don't know. It's something about the way he shoots them or something. I don't know. I was instantly curious about like, what is their deal? Like, what are they doing? Why is no one supervising them? Exactly. What is yeah. this weird lavender palace behind them? Like, mm. it, I, it's just from the very first frames, I was curious about what their story was. Yeah, it reminded me of the opening of Tangerine 2. It's like, who are these characters? What What's happening here in this restaurant? And things just kind of hit the fan. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, not not as crazy with the kids, but I don't. It feels so naturalistic and so vibrant. Like I, you know, I have a lot of nieces and nephews as well, and it feels like this movie definitely portrays that side of like the kids' world really mm-hmm. well. Um, but also the idea that. You know, in the world today, where I think a lot of kids are really kind of, I don't know, locked down by their parents mm-hmm. and don't really have this unstructured free time, uh, just culturally, like we've moved away from letting kids do a lot of those things. It is really weird to see this movie where these kids are basically on their own, running around. Right, they're latchkey kids, and they're six-year-old latchkey kids. That is, they're yeah, hooligans. They're hooligans. They are hooligans. They are uh, hooligans. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention about the film, Chrissy? I just think that it it has this this what's amazing about it. I've heard some people say that it glamorizes poverty and I don't agree with that. I think that it's it's shot beautifully. Like, I mean, it's shot in these vibrant colors. There's pinks and pastels. Like I said, the the main set is this motel called the Enchanted Castle that is painted this lavender color. And so most of the backdrops are beautiful. Mm -hmm. But it's like what the film is about is what's beneath these things. But the reason we're seeing it as beautiful is because Sean Baker is respecting Mooney's perspective. Yeah, like yeah. Mooney doesn't realize that she's being raised in squalor. Mooney doesn't realize that she's like on the fringes of, you know, the lower class. Like she has no awareness of that. She has like a family. She has friends. She, you know, mm-hmm. has breakfast every day. She feels like she's got it made. Yeah, for sure. And Jeff, any uh, your initial thoughts on this? 
Uh, I think that the Florida Project is an extraordinary film. Uh, it is one that I did not enjoy watching at all, <laughs> but I think that was the point. Um, I, it, it, if I'd seen this movie three years ago, it would be one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, watching it now, it is soul crushing, mm-hmm. cool. uh, and I find it. I find it. I, I came out of that movie uh, and I was useless the rest of the evening. I was, it, it wow. destroyed me. It, it hurt me in 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 very deep ways. Um, and I I have a hard time even recommending it to people. I feel like it is so hopeless. And we can talk. <gasps> we'll talk in spoilers. That's interesting. Go ahead. About no, yeah, that yeah. Specifically, uh, but um, I, but I do think it is an extraordinary film. Mm-hmm. It is. It is an extraordinary piece of art. The performances are utterly amazing. Mm-hmm. The, it looks like these are just these people, and mm-hmm. he happened to catch moments documentary style. Um, you talk about how it's shot. It is beautifully shot. And all of the takes are long and they're mostly shot from far away as Mm -hmm. if we are hiding, watching these kids behave in a way that is completely natural and completely, uh, completely on their own, completely unprompted, uncoached. I don't even know how you direct this movie like that when the director is physically that far away from these little (laughs) kids. Like I mean, just I imagine go be kids, takes, go be like, kids, get some ice cream. I don't yeah, know, right? Yeah, just go be kids, but no. <laughs> okay, so I'm very, um, very fortunate here in Los Angeles that I saw the film at the ArcLight, which is a sort of premier uh, venue here in Los Angeles, and they have this thing at the ArcLight where they do they call them ArcLight stories. After the movie's over, after the end credits, they have interviews with the people in the films that they tack on to the end of the movie, and I was prepared to come on the show and be like. That little girl who plays Mooney is not an actress. Like it's it's almost exploitive mm-hmm. because like she's you know they just taken advantage of this little girl who clearly grew up like this, but she is an actress. Like <laughs> everything was written for her. It, mm-hmm. it is I don't even understand it. Not only that, but the woman that plays her mother, uh, her name is Bria Venalti. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. She's never acted before in her life. That's insane. Which is insane. She wow. was discovered on Instagram like in, in, in a way that like ruins people's lives. Like it, when you hear – if, if you're an aspiring actor in Hollywood and you hear that someone was discovered on Instagram, it That's just – That's so sketchy. It just, it just like creates the worst – impulses in people to do the stupidest stuff like the, all those stories of like i was discovered going shopping or robin williams stood on his head at an audition and got the role of mork it's like it has created so many stupid things <laughs> in hollywood that people have done and yet here it is this this woman who plays uh Haley, hallie uh mm-hmm. she is incredible she's despicable she's uh she's hard to watch she mistreats her child in horrible ways she does she's a terrible parent uh and it, it is very 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 hard to watch this world i mean there's a moment i just want to interject because i feel like you're making this look like precious or sound like precious and like i totally get what you're saying but i want to be clear that like Haley is not like she's not abusive she doesn't hit she's just Oh, she's I, extremely she, abusive. Are you she, kidding? She's just she like, doesn't hit her. Yeah. She doesn't, oh, she doesn't like verbally abuse not, her. Hitting she's, is not the beginning and end. She's of the an abuse. unfit mom. I'll yeah, give yeah, you yeah. that. But like, she's negligent I, in a very, in yeah. very extreme ways, and that she's is definitely abusive. What I think is interesting, 
Mm-hmm. What I thought was so interesting about Haley is so often when you see an impoverished single mother, they're like violent toward the child or they're they're like resentful toward the child. And Haley's never that way toward Mooney. Like mm-hmm. the problem is that like Haley is still a child herself. And so she treats Mooney like her little bestie instead right, of like right. a daughter that needs to be cared for. And it's like a dangerous environment, but one that Mooney's not aware of because to her, they're basically playmates. Right. Yeah. Like I, I don't the fundamental problem, I understand your frustration with this movie jeff because Haley is a terrible parent like and i i felt physically angry at times seeing like what she was doing and like just sure just like yeah just try harder stop doing these things that are putting your life and your child's life in danger um yeah there are things that happen in the movie towards the end where it's like oh you're gonna lose your child now because of this stupid thing you did purely on impulse because you didn't just like step back. She's selfish and she's incapable of thinking of anybody but herself. And what's interesting though, I think the movie portrays her and honestly, all the characters too, without judgment, right? It is easy for us as the audience to be like, well, you're just terrible and I'm not going to listen to anything you're doing. Um, I th- this movie, like just like Tangerine, I think kind of balances a lot of that. And I just want to say too, like it's um to me in many ways feels like a uh, spiritual successor to American Honey. Uh, it's yeah. a vision of America that we don't normally see. You know, these are impoverished people basically living under the shadow of Disney World, right? They're within walking mm-hmm. distance. They're in Orlando. They're within walking distance of all the Disney stuff. And they're in these knockoff, you know, hotels with Disney-esque names to trap uh, tourists who don't know any better. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there, but this is poverty right underneath, like, you know, the, like, one of the most booming capitalist uh, kingdoms right. in the right. world. And I find that that whole... Uh, I, I don't know that whole place. I thought that that's mm-hmm. all captured so beautifully in one scene. And I mentioned it in my review. Um, and this isn't a spoiler, so I feel like mm-hmm. we're safe here, but there's a scene where Willem Dafoe, who I'm astonished we haven't gotten to, but oh, Willem man. Dafoe plays the hotel like manager. Uh, but he, he's, it's like a night where he's by himself. It's like one of the rare instances where it seems like the hotel is quiet and in the distance you can hear fireworks mm-hmm. And the camera stays on his face. It never pans over to the Disney World fireworks. It stays on his face. And it just nails this idea of, like, they're so close to something, to this, like, American dream, to this luxury, to this beautiful thing, but they can't get their fingers on it. And I, like, it's by not showing us the fireworks, that's the point that Sean Baker gets a clock across so Mm -hmm. elegantly, like, by withholding that imagery from us. And it just like it fucking hit me so hard. I I just I, I understand uh, your frustration, Jeff, completely. But um, I don't know. I thought there was the, such. I think the way the film gives these characters dignity is what made me really admire it and find a sense of hope ultimately in it. But we can talk about that more in spoilers. For sure. Go, go ahead. Jim. I definitely agree with the it, it. The movie hit you hard. I, it hit me hard, and and that is why I find it hard to even recommend it. It is a gut punch on, on such a fundamental level. I mean, it is America writ large and everything you said, Devendra about the metaphor, it's the central metaphor of being in this place where people go to live their dreams, where, you know, uh, if you wish upon a star and mm-hmm. literally the people that are the closest to it, the most are see none of that, see none of that hope and, and majesty. And I, I find that all very, very hard to 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 watch these days. I mean, it is mm-hmm. it, it is 
it, it, I find it very bleak and very rough. And um, I, I, I don't know if I see the dignity that you're that you're talking about, right, right, Christy. Right. I, I really don't. Mm. I, 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 I understand. I definitely agree that the movie values the kids' perspective and and shows their life, their inner world, and their alone time or together time amongst themselves in a way that most movies dream about. Like mm-hmm. it, you, it captures being a kid in a way that most movies don't, but I don't find that hopeful. I find it because these kids are doomed, doomed to repeat what their parents are doing. Well, they I, are I, I going don't know to about that. I mean, I, I, I think that's, I think that's what the movie's saying. I honestly do. I think that that I think you're seeing the cycle, mm-hmm. and I think that that Willem Dafoe's character, his nobility is in trying to do these little acts of kindness to try to break it, but he's ultimately completely powerless, mm-hmm. and he, he can't he can't do anything to to help these people. But I mean, like I said, it's an extraordinary film, specifically because of the moments it seems to be able to capture the performances it seems to be able to capture the sense of verisimilitude that it seems to capture i mean i don't need, like the mm-hmm. for example the 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 guy that's clearly a pedophile yeah. at one point yeah. well, let's save that for spoilers cuz there is All right. that whole scene that like that actor oh, needs that to be so finger kissed that like, actor beautiful. needs to be needs to be jailed right now <laughs> <laughs> no that whole him. scene is super i don't trust that man yeah. How did they find him? And now that they found him, they need to stop him. Stop he actually him. did just wander on set toward the children, and they were like, "We're just gonna have William to throw, throw Defoe threaten you for an extensive." That was period. just improv. No. But you know, there's just no what way you're to saying, act that. I, there's some stuff we could talk about in spoilers. Uh, let's wrap up this section first. But I don't. Uh, the movie never gave me the sense that these kids are doomed to repeat what their parents are going through. It's more like, you know, these parents. Uh, what I love about this movie and Tangerine as well is like. These people are just trying to live their lives. You know, it mm-hmm. may not be the type of life um, we're used to or, you know, a lot of like middle class folks are used to. But I, I don't think that removes their dignity. And even when they're doing terrible things like Haley in particular, like I feel I just feel so much for Willem Dafoe's character in this movie because he spends most of his time is like, you know, he's a guy he's in the situation, but he seems to love where he is. He seems to love taking care yeah. of this hotel and he loves these people. And he tries to take over Haley in the ways he can. Uh, the tragedy is that, you know, no matter what you do, you can't really fix somebody if they're intent right. on, like, if they don't know fundamentally what they need to fix yet. I really disagree yeah. with this point that yeah. they're just trying to live their lives. Well, I, I, I don't think... think I don't think that if you asked any one of mm-hmm. their those characters if they'd rather be somewhere else, they would not say yes. Well, that's the thing. They can't. They can't. Well, that's that is the story, though, Jeff. Right? That is the story of American. But they're not just trying right to live their lives in this well, place. Yeah. They're they're completely trapped there by circumstance and by economic impoverishment and by uh, by the system right, and right, by right. their own their uh, their own inadequacies and they're passing those things on to their kids. Well, that's to what be we clear, are watching though, happen in this movie. To be we clear, are watching like, we that see ha- we see a whole lot of people like trying to do better, right? I think Haley's right. friend who's working in the restaurant, she's just a mom who is working and trying to take care of her kid and, and what does she get do for her troubles? <laughs> well, dude, like yeah, that is the story of America right now. That is certainly heartbreaking. Exactly. I totally hear that. But that is I don't think it's the movie's there, fault for There's no hope in this as, movie. As anything the, I bad. Did, I got no hope from this movie. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Jeff. It's just, it's one of those things, right? I do find 
Um, what what is the theme from American Honey? Right, finding finding love in a hopeless place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Rihanna song. Um, I that that was kind of ringing through my head throughout this movie because yeah, this it is tough to take. It is really hard to watch. There are some aspects of this movie that I find. Just, yeah, there are scenes, right, where she's in the bathtub and later on we learn what that really means. And you're like, right. oh, shit. Like, that well, let's is, go to, let's that go to is spoilers, deep. Then. Yeah, that goes into yeah. spoilers. Yeah. But I think this movie, like, it, there are multitudes to it. I, it's not just about the hopelessness because you find the hope in the glimpses here of people trying to help each other of somebody like Willem Dafoe's character just trying to do his best. And... It's what very this, realistic. None of it works. It's realistic, it works. man. Jeff, you will. I, I, I'm, I, yeah. I'm not saying it's not realistic. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying you're 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 trying to say that there is some some uh, hope there, mm-hmm. and I'm saying it it is it is realistic, and that's what's so depressing about right, it right, is right. that the movie doesn't. Although well, let's talk. Let's get yeah. to spoilers. We need to get, to, get spoilers. to spoilers. I like. To I know. Spoilers. I can feel where Jeff's going. We need to get yes. to spoilers. Okay. Let's move to spoilers. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. That ending is some bullshit. <laughs> I love the ending. Okay, oh, I want to hear what you bullshit, think the ending Christy. is. No, <laughs> I want to so... hear what you think the ending is because yeah, yeah. when I saw it, I will say this. The people around me went, ugh. Yeah, and were like angry. Yes, but I want to hear why you're angry because I feel like I have a different read on this than you do. I thought it was the movie using a get out of jail free card and completely copping out to the the tone and the point that it had built up so beautifully and so so excruciatingly. Like I had suffered with these people for two hours, and then in the last 15 seconds you're going to be like no but it's okay fuck you and i and i understand that it's sort of dreamlike and i understand the like running childhood like running away to the safe place i get all that it still felt like bullshit and a cop out to me and <laughs> okay, it really pissed me off so here's what i like about it and i think this is a big de- de- defining moment and why i like the film and you don't seem to well, I don't. I know. I, I believe me. I I really it's respect just, this movie. I I, I, I don't want it to come out that I hate the movie. I no, do. No, no, I, I understand. Just, but I I think on why you think it's a hopeless movie, and I think it has a streak of hope in it. Mm-hmm. As dark as I agree with you, as the film ultimately is, um, which we can get into that more in a second. For me, the ending, which um, since we're in spoilers, the ending is that Mooney. Uh, Child Services shows up and tries to take Mooney away from Haley, mm-hmm. and Mooney runs to her friend, and she cries to her six-year-old friend and her six-year-old friend grabs her by the hand and together they run off into Disney World. And that's the end of the movie is them running around Disney World. Notably, it's all shot from behind because mm-hmm. I read that Sean Baker uh, basically on an snuck iPhone. In, on an iPhone. Yeah. It's all of a sudden it goes from 35 millimeter to an iPhone, which I think is also telling, but also because they were shooting it illegally oh, in yeah, Disney World. Yeah, they had to steal the um, shots, yeah. yeah but I think a lot of the shots in this movie are stolen. I think all the stuff of her selling perfume is oh, real. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but this this in particular, like it it looks different than the rest of the film, and it's a real absolute break. And I think that there are people. I'm not saying you are Jeff, but I think there are people that are taking it literally. Mm-hmm. I think what the ending is supposed to be is like we know what happens. Like yeah. Mooney can't get away from child services. She's going to be taken away from her mother. We don't know if she'll see her again. That's a horrible, tragic ending. But like Sean Baker doesn't want to like doesn't want right. to leave us with that. He wants to like 
like these people are hang on hang on but these people are so real and these people are so authentic that this being a movie though why can't they have their happy ending and i understand it's a false happy ending but i think you can read it in two ways i think you can read it as him allowing them this happy ending that like society won't give them or you can read it as like mooney effectively rewriting what like this is the end of an era and this is like the moment where she'll have to rewrite from this moment because this has been a summer under this, you know, umbrella of her mother's protection that is flawed. But as we learned, mm-hmm. like through the bathtub scenes, her mother was protecting her from some pretty grim aspects of their reality. And I feel like this is the moment where, like, it's it's closing a chapter and it's giving it this you know, saccharine ending that doesn't fit, but it's like, it's like the end of, um, you know, some of the 50s, 1950s horror movies, like the bad seed or I'm, invasion I'm, of the body snatchers. I was where thinking it's, a bit of like even the 400 blows, right? Whereas that, that is a movie that ends in a way, you know, it's that long tracking running shot. It ends in a way that feels hopeful, even though, you know, that character isn't escaping his situation. Right. I, I think, think that's, that's kind of it. Yeah. I think it's purposely jarring the audience to it's like not it's not giving you a a happy ending because it thinks you'll believe it it's giving you a happy ending because it wants that for the characters and Mm -hmm. i think that's actually part of what i was saying about the idea of it of sean baker trying to imbue these characters with a sense of dignity that film so often takes from them because so often when you see impoverished people in movies you know they're not the heroes and like these characters are unequivocally the heroes of this story so i found that like empowering is too far a stretch of a word, but I thought it was really beautiful. And it's like, in the end, I don't think that we can say, you know, we know where Mooney and her friends are going to go. I understand your argument about how you're basically seeing Haley teach Mooney all the bad behavior that she could potentially repeat, but we don't know what her next step is. We don't know who the foster family is. We don't know any of that. This has been like the end of this chapter. And I feel like by making it such a dramatic mm-hmm. cut, it leaves that possibility open. It's definitely a very, I, I, it's a, it's going to be a difficult chapter for Mooney, like as she grows up, I think, as she mm-hmm. thinks about this and as she has to like maybe unlearn some of these lessons. But here is also what I wanted to really say too, like she, she's not really trapped, I guess, um, no, I don't know how to say it, right? She, like, we know that she's going to be moving on from this situation. And honestly, like, going to another family, it is probably one of the better things she could hope for, but it's never good, right? Even mm-hmm. if it's a kid being taken away from a not great situation, you don't know what the foster family is going to be like. And the foster system is a mess, too. It doesn't really do a good job of taking care of kids. Um, so, like, that's that's all kind of heartbreaking. What I loved about this ending is that it just it really did just come out of nowhere, right? It is this weird cinematic flourish that comes and like gives us something that we want for these two girls to just like Mm -hmm. have this moment of hopefulness and this moment of like, uh, have they ever actually been onto Disney, but they're going to do this even though I, even if you take it literally, right, they run away, they get onto Disney. I don't think you can take it literally. Like they can't get into Disneyland literally. Even if, they, like you couldn't they, get in. They sneak into all sorts of places, right? So whatever. Even if you take Disneyland it literally. Is, even if yeah. you take it literally. I'm saying, like, you know, you kind of have a sense of, like, where things are going to go for Mooney. And her friend is just going to go back to her mom. But there mm-hmm. is this moment. This moment of beauty between them that they're always going to have. And I, what was fascinating, too, the ending, just, like, it is a cut to black. It is, like, the trailer just or the credits just pop up, right? It doesn't give you... 
it doesn't give you anything to really latch onto after that final right. shot. And to me, this is like the most beautiful final sequence in a film this year uh, because it's so incongruous, because it is really forcing you to think like, how does this relate to the characters? So uh, yeah, I, I think ultimately it's probably more than bullshit. That's all. I will respond and mm-hmm. say, uh, I, <laughs> I, I hear what you guys are saying. And I actually, I don't disagree with that take either of you have made. I think that that's exactly the same take I came away with. Uh, I di- I wasn't under any kind of illusions that it was a literal moment. I did think it was exactly what you said, Christy, of the filmmaker got sort of giving a gift to these characters. And I guess just from my perspective, that was incredibly thematically dishonest. I just felt like a complete left turn from the movie we were watching and it, a pat... Uh, just emotionally dishonest version of an, an ending. It's like, okay, well, I fucked with you guys for this whole thing, but here's something nice. Well, it's, <laughs> it's not like this movie was devoid of joy or anything, right? It is to me. It does me, explore it that sense of, of like, wow, really? Yes. But there's so many beautiful scenes, like when they go to watch the fireworks mm-hmm. on the side of the water, and like, I mean, even just like. When, like, uh, Willem Dafoe is just talking to those giant local birds, there's just so many just moments of, like, little moments, yeah. simple, yeah, just simple grace that it's, like, I don't know. It, the scene where the two girls look at the mm-hmm. uh, rainbow or when they get caught in the rain, I don't know. I, it's, like... Grace is what, the word there, yeah. I, yeah, I, I feel like I this is when we can loop back to the bathroom stuff where, like... Mm-hmm. The reveal of there's like there's stretches in the film that the first time I watched it, we were actually kind of painfully long. We were like, why is she in the bathroom right, again? Right. This is really exhausting. And it's just her taking a bath. It's just and loud it's music like, playing and her playing in the bathroom. Like, what's right, the big deal? Exactly. And you're like, oh, God. And in the end, when they reveal that basically when she's in the bathtub, that's how her mom's been keeping her away from the John she's been taking so they can keep paying their rent. Mm-hmm. And, like, when you realize that, I was just like, God damn. And there's a lot of little moments like that in the film that are that are telegraphing something that a mature like an adult is going to pick up on right. the kids not right. and i think that again that circles back to the ending where it's talking about the idea of like you know maybe mooney will look back on that day and remember running through disney world and maybe it'll it'll seem like this magical moment that it seems like in the film but when you grow up and you look back on these things you're like oh my god that was why i was uh, she was having me take baths alone and like oh that's what that meant when that weird guy got chased away with his soda can mm-hmm. like you know, I well, think I guess that the, go, go to take my shift on the pole now. Oh, boo. I feel like I, this movie is urging you to take a look back on these things in like in the way you do your own life when you grow up and you're like, you know, wait a minute. Maybe my parents didn't send my dog to live on a farm. It's like <laughs> that kind of I feel like that ending challenges you to go back and reconsider those things. And I think that's really fascinating. I think it it trusts the audience in a way that I think I think few filmmakers feel comfortable doing mm-hmm. and like i understand your outrage about this because it is a hard to watch movie i mean like you know but it ultimately I, I, left me just i mean shit is hard i don't i don't i'm not angry at i'm not showing I, that no no listen i i want to be very very clear with you guys <laughs> i think this movie i think this movie up until the last 20 seconds is a raw real brutal look at the way people actually live in America in 2017. 
I think it is 2017. I think this is sort of like one of those things that's endemic to America. This is just America. Right. Right. Whatever. But I'm saying that people are living this way right this second. Right. There Mm -hmm. are people who are living like this all over the country, not just in the shadow of the Magic Kingdom, but all over the country. They're living like this Mm -hmm. right now. And it is it is it pulls no punches until the end, which pisses me off that it pulled a punch (laughs) at the end. But uh, it 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 is an extraordinary, especially based on performances that could have felt cartoonish and could have felt um, dishonest and could have felt uh, exaggerated. It, it is an extraordinary view of of that world that is extremely depressing and extremely bleak to me. Okay, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to I don't want to pull this card <laughs> on you guys. But uh, I, I, I am a dad, right? Mm-hmm. I have a kid. And maybe two years ago, three years ago, before I had my kid. Oh, I wondered to... when you said two, three years ago, this would be your favorite movie. Yeah. And Okay, that's interesting. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was thinking aloud. Movie, <laughs> I would have walked out of this movie if we had not been reviewing it. I, I find it incredible. It was, I, it was the, one of the hardest movies for me to watch. I, I've, I found it painful. Mm-hmm. To, to witness because it feels so real because and, and and like I said at the very beginning of my comments about this movie I think that's the point which makes me so pissed about the ending because it's like oh but but okay it's okay <laughs> that that's that's kind of how I felt no, I, I like, do think this movie does work really hard to give us the kids perspective on things like just them trying to get ice cream them just hanging out and that right there is a sense of safety of them together right they they can hang out together they don't understand the evils that are in this world and I they think are it cuts, deeply damaged it cuts deeply damaged kids well are they or are they just being kids like uh, here's the thing like i I think a lot (laughs) of movies like this and especially a lot of movies that i think start to lean into like the poverty porn type of things which i'm not a big fan of uh they do tend to like lean on things like child abuse and they tend to lean on like more physical child abuse and sexual child abuse and things that are Mm -hmm. like you just you want to like rile up and you want to like take these kids away from these people forever um what I find fascinating about this movie is that, you know, ultimately these people, they're doing all they kind of know, right? It's not like a situation where Mooney, she's in, she is in a certain amount of danger when these Johns are just coming over and she's just there in the bathroom and that's like a gross mm-hmm. situation. But generally, like, you know, the movie at least is showing us, like, it's not putting them in those situations. Like, it is they have their own like little magical world where there is a bit of hopefulness and they're just being kids. So I just, I feel like I've seen a lot of movies where it's much, much worse for the kids, you know, Jeff. So it's like the, the bleakness feels that is bleak, right? This is not like, no, Augustus man, I think thing, you, or I like think a Michael that's Haneke what, thing. Yeah. I think that's what the, well, you got to give credit to the movie. This is kind of what Christy was saying yeah. earlier is it doesn't lean on obvious, clear cut, uh, I, mean, I think it is all obvious and clear cut, but it doesn't lean on, on Neglect, this exaggerated. Not abuse. That's what I'm saying. It's not like it's not like in uh, you know Precious, where like Monique is beating the shit out of her daughter all the time. Like that's her. that's yeah. what I'm saying. You often see when you show an impoverishing a single mom, she's either screaming at the kid, or it's like Moonlight, where she's super abusive. Mm-hmm. Like that tends to be the portrayals we see. And in this, I thought it was interesting that Baker chose not to show that kind. Like they're right, not no, neglect. One hundred percent. I'm agreeing yeah. with you guys. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that let's say let's say Mooney and her friends died in that fire. Mm-hmm. And now is she a bad mom? This is when Jeff directs the movie. Um, I'm, I'm asking I'm a question. Saying, I'm not yeah. saying she's a good mom. I yeah. agree with you that her parenting is super, super like neglectful, 
But what I'm saying is that I feel like there's a tendency when you're showing like the mm-hmm. like, you know, quote unquote bad single moms that it's done in this very violent, very like demeaning right. way. And what I thought was interesting is that Sean Baker chose to take another character who is, you know, like Haley's not a good mom, but also Haley's probably like what twenty three. Yeah, like how We're, we agree on this point, you. Christy. Yeah. We agree on this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but, but I don't think I'm that makes her is... any less bad because she doesn't beat her kid. I, that's well, that's not my argument. My right. argument is that that's my argument. <laughs> my argument is because of that. This isn't like. I like it is. I understand what you're saying. It's a depressing movie, but I'm saying that I don't like. I don't think of it as the kind that's like, you know, breathtakingly bleak. I just mm-hmm. don't see that. I see like I see a lot of love between Haley and Mooney, and like Haley is a deeply bad parent, but she's trying. And it's like I know she's not trying in the right ways, and that's what I find the conflict and the drama and like mm-hmm. what's so hard to watch is and like every, everything like, she could be doing right to kind of help her situation, she refuses to do. Right. That, that she's is, a child. Yeah. She's really petulant and she's yeah. impulsive. And she, like you said, she's selfish. I don't disagree with any of those things. But, like, I'm still rooting for her because, like, she genuinely loves Mooney and, like, believes she's doing the best she can do. You know? And it's like, but it's coming from this stubborn place of, like, but I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that and I don't want to do that. And right. we all know people like that who are like, I'm doing everything I can do. And you're like, I can name five things you're not doing right now. So but do I mean, you think at the end when Mooney is taken away from her, do you think that's a, a a good thing for Mooney or a bad thing for Mooney? I think it's both. I don't think it's – I mean that's what I like about the movie is I don't think it gives you a clean-cut answer. We don't know where she's going to go, but I think I think she needs to be removed from that situation. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time – Because her mom know, is – yeah. Yeah. Right. But we don't know where she's going to go. And like, we don't know if she's going to go to a place where she'll have a Bobby watching out for her because like as flawed as her situation was, she did have a mother who loved her, even though her, her like love took the form of some pretty twisted like avenues to take care of her. And she had a father figure who was very protective and very understanding. And like, this is, I think you're making my point for me that like she's fucked. Mooney is fucked. Like there is no, there is no hope for I totally her. disagree like, with that. She, she, you, you say she was in a situation – she's in a situation that was abusive mm-hmm. and and bad for her. You say, you know, if, if she stays with, with her mom, things are not good for her. She ta- is taken away from her mom. Things are not good for her. This is I'm true. I'm saying we don't know. But what I'm well, no, but but you're leaping to this idea as if like I I don't agree with you that these kids are doomed. I mean I don't think the film sets that up. I think the film sets up the way that there's all these obstacles working against them a hundred percent. But I mean like you talk about it being authentic. Like there's a bunch of examples in real life of people that I know that like lived in shocking conditions as kids. Yeah. Like when they tell you stories about their childhood, I marvel that like a particular friend of mine is incredibly well just adjusted and loving and like super thoughtful to others. When, when they talk about their past, it's, it's phenomenal to me. Like you think this is bleak. You should hear my friend's story. And I'm not saying that to, to, to belittle what you're saying. I'm saying that to like, I don't think the film is making a hard and fast statement about who these kids are going to be when they grow up. I think it's talking about this particular summer and this particular situation and how it is a chapter in Mooney's life that is defining. But I think the ending, the reason it cuts off the way it does is because we don't get to know how it mm-hmm. defined her. Do you don't you don't think that that, uh, that an aspect of this movie is showing you? You don't think you can a, a read of this movie is that Haley's childhood was pretty darn similar to Mooney's. 
We don't that, hear anything about Haley's yeah, childhood. No, I know, but 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 you don't you don't see that there's a there, there's a but cycle. But I'm saying if you don't that's... see, but how can you say there's a cycle if we don't see Haley's childhood? Yeah, it's it, it's, well, you... it just seems a little like Jeff. What you're saying seems a little rough, right? Because it also seems like you're writing off the possibility for impoverished kids to like get get anywhere in life and but that, you guys are and the, I, i'm yeah. usually the pollyanna on the show and yeah. it feels like you guys are the pollyanna reading like you know it's probably gonna work out fine for these people no, I'm saying, no, but that's different from saying like she is definitely fucked and i think that is that's a little rougher i think the movie i think yeah. the movie because it gives you that weird cop-out ending in my opinion i think the movie is tacitly admitting that she's fucked i think i think honestly it is it is saying like well Here's this moment because nothing else is going to be good. I I, I feel know. like you're reading a lot more into that, Jeff. Like that's that's just the thing. But let's All right. okay, let's let's move on to a couple other things too because I we haven't talked much about Willem Dafoe and Willem Dafoe yeah. and this freaking insane performance because it is so he's almost unrecognizable as somebody who is just like there and kind-hearted and just really wants to do the best for these people that he can. So, Such an odd casting choice, isn't it? What a wonderful casting like, choice. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's fascinating because like I when I heard about the Florida Project and I heard Willem Dafoe was like the only star in it and I was like, it's Sean Baker's movie. It didn't seem to make any sense. I was like, well, how do you take non-actors and put Willem Dafoe in there <laughs> and like trick us into things? Right. But it's like, it's I think because it's so against type, like Willem Dafoe is not playing... Uh, a particularly like he's only like Bobby's only aggressive when he absolutely has to be mm-hmm. but he's like not a cynic he's not like a dark guy like he's entirely hopeful and like he spends most of the movie just wearing these very thin t-shirts <laughs> and like I know that sounds like a weird thing to say but it's like it just it felt so authentic it felt like the guys you see taking care of buildings he felt like a super and like there's just like a scene where he's like painting the side of the castle and he drops some paint and it all just felt so authentic in a way that I feel like Defoe doesn't get to do very much yeah. anymore because yeah. he's such a figure that when you cast Willem Defoe, you expect the Green Goblin, you expect the bad guy in the Wes Anderson movies, you expect this over the top theatrical hype of villainy, or even like and, a kooky character, right? He's been right. kooky in a couple of Wes Anderson movies, but totally. not like just this, just like a guy living his life and doing the best he can to take care of people. Talking about that pain can scene, by the way, I love the whole construction of that scene where the creepy pedophile dude just like walks up to the kids and the kids don't know what's going on. Right. They're just hanging out being kids. And I love how like his spider sense is just like, what, what is happening over here? Um, and that whole it's just co- a pack of children playing on like a picnic table right. and being obnoxious. being obnoxious. And then one rando like tubby dude starts walking over uh-huh. and is just casually talking to him. We're just like, why are you here? Yeah. And I love the because construction. Because he's seen it a million oh, times yes. before. Mm-hmm. Probably. But I love the construction of that scene, too, where he's like, OK, just, let's get, get you a soda. Let's just walk you away from here. And <laughs> the movie spends I don't know if that's a continuous it's take so or not, long. but it spends like three minutes waiting for him to get that soda only to knock it out of his hand. Like that is the entire point of getting the soda is to be like, fuck you, dude, get, get out of here. Um, yeah. Just kind of love that situation. Like I want to get up and cheer at that point and where he's just like chasing the guy out and like gets his name and gets everything. Um, I don't know. Beautiful scene. Like that's the sort of thing is like, God damn, there are people like that. At least like the world is incredibly unfair. I I agree with you in the situation. Did you not think that that dude 
was going to go off to some other place where there isn't a Bobby and just well, do that. Sure, but what, like, what's Bobby supposed to do? Like, if you he calls the police, no, no, I'm, not, like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying Bobby's not supposed to do anything. I'm just saying that that's, it was another right. point of just really feeling like, Oh fuck, this world is Jeff. I feel like awful. the news cycle is just like, killed yes. your your optimism at this point but i hear you yes but this is and true this of every is, this is true of every movie right uh they they kill the major villain who what's to say they'll come back and just murder no no everyone, no, 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 no. Right, not every movie it, it feels like a slice of americana that's actually happening right now mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> we, okay i mean but, so really we're just talking about america let's stop yeah. being about the movie and now yes. we're being like sure. that's what this movie is I right totally, totally i mean i that. agree with you but it, yes. but that might actually very much be informing where we're coming from this at of like you know yeah three years ago if i watched this movie i would have loved it now (laughs) i can't watch it it's too fucking depressing too hard and and that's the problem like it reminds me of the movie kids you guys remember that movie i remember kids now kids is it feels like a much bleaker yeah Yeah. straight up felt like that to me this movie this felt like kids but younger Jeff, I, okay, I, th- I think I see what's happening here, but I got you. I just want to highlight a couple other things. So we didn't, we talked about the kids and Mooney, but Brooklyn Prince in particular, what a find. Just like yeah. purely natural. Like she feels like every like young niece that I have, it's just insane. Insane how It's also interesting because mm-hmm. like a lot of times when people praise a child's performance in movies like this, I get really... Mm-hmm. Uh, I get nervous because I tend to find that when people are like this kid's amazing in this movie, it's just that the kid is shot beautifully and it's a mm-hmm. lot of child staring off into the mid distance and it's basically cool shiv effect <laughs> where, you know, if you put this kid behind sad music and have them stare off into right. the distance, it's a sad moment. I like how you're but like, this like, kid's not that impressive. Look at him. It's just it's just like a thing where I'm like, but is the kid acting or is right, the kid right, just right. being implemented in like a piece of art? Right. You know, is the kid just being used as a glorified prop? But in this film, like that's what's so crazy is like this girl Brooklyn, like she just feels like she is definitely this kid. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, because she does stuff that's kind of shitty. Where there's like one part where they throw, uh, they're spitting on a car, yeah. and then someone <laughs> tells her, and she's like, "You don't know where I live, bitch," and like. It, you know, it felt like that thing where when when you hear a little kid swear and they say this curse word in a way that doesn't feel like it fits their mouth, but they're so <laughs> excited about it. And like it all felt really authentic to the point where I was like, I also thought, like, am I going to read about how they found like some poor girl in a back lot? And like they're like, yeah, we gave her mom a six pack of Red Bull to shoot with her or something, you know, or Angelina Jolie came by to approve it. And, like, I just got really nervous about, like, what does mm. this mean? But, like, by all accounts, like, no, this is a performance, but it feels like you're watching a real kid. Yeah, and I, what I find. I would love to know what Sean Baker's process was with this girl, right? because I, I think a lot of those long takes, I. I I'm convinced that a lot of them are are improvised uh, and they, he probably just rolled and rolled and rolled camera and just let those kids be and stayed out of their way for, for a long time and kind of gave them general guidelines. But in that in that uh, interview that I said I got to see uh, after the movie where they interview a little Brooklyn and they're like, oh, so you had these lines you had to say that were bad words. How, how did your mom – she's like, well, my mom closed her ears and I felt really bad when I said them. It's like, really? Because you yeah. fucking owned those lines, man. It's like she'd been saying the F word her whole life. You know, It's mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it really is an extraordinary performance mm-hmm. for a, a young kid. And I would love to know what his approach was with her because 
it, it's a work of of magic that he captured what he captures with all of the kids, not just her, but the other side character kids as well. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah she's especially great, the other little the girl, uh, Valerie Valeria Cotto. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just it's because like she's like the new kid in town. So like the scene where they go to get ice cream. And they say that they have a doctor who told them that if they don't get ice cream, they'll die. There's this shot of her character whose eyes just get so big, but she like doesn't want to say anything because she doesn't want to like ruin the story or whatever. And it's just I don't know. It's crazy because it's like, you know, I have gaggles of little cousins and like <laughs> those kids interacted. So that's how kids talk to each other, just the way they they rattle on back and forth. And the fact that they did that in a way that was captivating and not precocious and frankly for me like not annoying where i'm just like can you just i i don't there's a that reason i chose not to have children that moment where she uh <laughs> she puts the other little girl's arm around her mm-hmm. and we see it from behind I, I don't it just it's just a beautiful simple moment that doesn't feel coached it doesn't feel like he said okay try to get her arm around you it, right. it just feels like the girl thought of that in the moment right and, and the whole movie is like that. Like there's a another shot when they're eating where she he's like right up close and she's staring right into the camera. And it's like he's interviewing. I'm guessing that he interviewed her and she just started talking about you know, she's like has these ideas like forks should be made of candy because then we would eat. It's like that's not how a kid says dialogue that's written. Like that's a kid fucking thinking of that right then. <laughs> and And I don't know if that's just an incredible performance from this little girl or if he – did stuff like that to just incorporate her actual being into the movie. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's really effective. I'm looking forward to seeing like the behind the scenes stuff in this movie. I hope yeah. we get a lot I don't of want it. to. I yeah. like don't want to I don't want to break the spell. <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't want to ruin the magic of the Magic Kingdom. I hear you. Uh also shout out to Caleb Landry Jones in this movie. Yeah. Uh, he's everywhere this year. Uh in a really small The least role. creepy he's ever been, by the, the way. Least creepy, perhaps. <laughs> but also like that's it's such a small role, but I think it kind of there's that one scene right where they're moving the ice maker, mm-hmm. and you kind of slowly get to see the relationship between him and Willem Dafoe's character. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, I think I see what's going on here. Did you right. guys get that sense of it too? Yeah, well, I actually was sure. reading in the trivia on IMDb, so let's you know, grain of salt if this is true, but I don't know why someone would make this up. But it said that that character was initially supposed to be Bobby's brother, mm-hmm. but then they said while shooting it, Sean Baker realized how important the like parental stuff was getting, so they changed it. They kept recast, and Caleb Landry Jones cast like two weeks before he shot, <laughs> and then it became the son. And I think it is it. It's a lot. It, ha- it gives you a lot more to to play with and a lot more to have a story of if Bobby has a son. And it says a lot without actually saying it too, I think. Right. Who he's like, Bobby has a family, but like, that's not who he's choosing to spend his time with. Right. And his poor son is like, I I think the line was like, you know, I take 90 minutes to get here or whatever. And anybody could help you. And it's like that one moment was like, Oh, the slow realization. Like this is a Sean Baker. I I think like thing, this is what he does, right? Just a slow realization from like a, a, a like a small fact or a small truth, right. you start to realize the depth of this relationship. Um, it's moments like that that really make me love this movie. So yeah, I wish uh, I wish we got to see a little more between uh, Jack and Bobby. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, well, I feel like we've covered a lot about this film. Anything else you guys want to mention about the Florida Project? <sighs> oh man, 
I don't know. We covered a lot of ground. We did. I, I feel spent after this conversation. I, really, I yeah. understand why. Yeah. I really, uh, I, I'm not kidding that mm-hmm. whoever that actor was that played the pedophile needs to be stopped. <laughs> because you, no one acts that well. Just There's stop not, him no one... completely. Also, Mick oh, and Blair. Mick and Blair yeah, in this movie. Say... <laughs> Okay. It, that actually threw me off when Bacon and Blair pops up for a second. Because, like, at that point, I had adjusted to Willem Dafoe's in this movie, and fine, he is Bobby. But then I was like, wait, Willem, like, why is Bacon Blair here? Because he, he's it's not recognizable enough for most people. I think he's no, recognizable it's, for film nerds it's completely, like us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, it was like, I, it's not a problem with the film. It was just that me, I was like, hang on a second. Because he's, for me, is just famous enough that I was confused why he's only in one scene. Right, right. Exactly. But then I saw the snowman and apparently that's just a thing we're doing this year. Where we're taking like notable direct actors and just throwing them in a scene for like a minute and then forgetting they're in the movie. Oh, so man. it's fine. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that at home with Don't a lot of alcohol. Ever. <laughs> There's no... I mean, like, no, you know what? If you're drinking yeah. a lot of alcohol, then you can at least enjoy yeah, yeah, yeah. like every time they say Harry Hole because that's Hole. a name. You know, as I started making fun snowman. of that, uh, people were like tweeting at me. It was like, you know, it's, it's pronounced Harry Hole. Right. Yeah. Is not it in the movie. It's not. I don't know. I. I did. It didn't sound like. I, maybe sweepe. Is exactly. It <laughs> is the actual pronunciation is not that ludicrous, but like I think the first time. Sorry, the first time we see the name, that we hear his name in the movie or whatever, mm-hmm. it's actually just written on a package. It's just like letter for Harry Hole, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Like, I don't think it was until that moment I realized that was the character's name. Like, uh-huh. e- some, even though I realized people have been, t- after the fact, it was like, oh, that's why everybody's been tweeting that name on Twitter all week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's weird. And the snowmen in that are just super sad looking, <laughs> like, in every respect. So when they cut to them to look menacing and it's like, stinging music, strings make things intimidating. You're like, no, that's like a sad emoji snowman. What are we doing here? So don't see the snowman. See the Florida yeah, Project no, again. Exactly. I- that was... Yeah, That's my point. <laughs> this movie, this movie is definitely harsh. I can understand like why it left you feeling like battered, Jeff. Um, I yeah, do, I sure. do kind of want to rewatch it too. I think about the relationship to like American Honey, and it just feels like they're, I don't know, sibling films in a way. Like they show us glimpses of America that we don't typically see, and yeah, leaves us to make our own judgments. Um, that mo- that moment where she starts crying at the mm-hmm. end to her friend, mm-hmm. uh, I was ruined ruined me yeah Yeah. yep but i also think that's a big turn too because it was a time where she actually reached out to somebody for help she wasn't conning anyone she wasn't begging anybody she was asking somebody for help like Like that's a big moment like yeah Yeah. she's a child who doesn't know what to do oh man um so where can we find you guys on the internet Uh, christy where where are you about these days yeah, I freelance all over. So the easiest way to keep up with what I'm doing is find me on Twitter. I'm at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And I have a uh, blog where I keep my career highlights called DecadentCriminals.com. And since I write all over, it's where I put things together so people can easily find them. So yeah, you can keep up with me writing about Riverdale on Pajiba, and I write reviews all over. Cool. And Jeff? I have several other shows for you to check out. If you like video games, I talk about video games every single day in a short form show that'll keep you up to date. It's called Newest, Latest, Best, and it's uh, available on iTunes and Google Play Music. Also, you can find it at anchor.fm slash NLB. And then I do a weekly long form video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. 
And I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. So many shows, Jeff. And you guys can find mm-hmm. me on uh, Twitter at, at Devendra. And I write about tech at Engadget.com. Uh, I got a lot of reviews incoming this week. It's been kind of crazy, but I do have something about the Amazon, the new Amazon TV and the new Roku uh, 4K stick, kind of pitting them head to head together. So check that out this week on Engadget. And uh, with that, we're out. We'll be right back. 